the cultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, achieving enlightenment while searching for the best beer and prettiest women with the flaming thunderbolt of wisdom. Learning that Taoism isn't always about being a nice guy. Landfill Nirvana, sex orgies, extreme self-denial, and remembering that the universe is considerably weirder than you'll ever know. And now, quietly awaiting my one-way ticket to Guantanamo, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, answering hopelessness with a defiant smile and a raised middle finger, Daniele Bolelli. Away we go. People who are having a good time are uh, are back for episode 18, this sort of mystical, uh, timeless episode that we've created while Daniele prepares for his trip six weeks back in Italy. Um, You'll be getting on the plane very shortly as we speak in the future. Yeah, because we actually recorded episode 16 about three minutes before we started episode 18. So these are back to back when we recorded them, but clearly they are released a month apart. So where will you be headed to? Um, just got back probably mostly visit my family in Milan, little bit, uh, go to Tuscany or something, visit some friends, maybe make it to Rome. That would be nice. And is gets to visit all her uh, family members she hasn't? Yeah, not doesn't really have much. Um, my, I'm an only child. My dad is an only child. My mom's have there's nobody left in our family so it's like we're a dying breed and, and nobody from china trying to claim her and take her back to the uh no definitely not get a little red book and put yeah. her in school no the um, my wife had a couple of couple of her sister live in northern cal so we see her you know once a year or something right and then their parents yeah, our mom was crazy, as in clinical crazy, and their dad was not like just a, normal estrogen crazy. No, and their dad was like an asshole, abusing guy. She was like, that's why she was a ward of the court by the time she was sixteen, and oh. never saw them. So I never met them. I have no idea who they are, but didn't sound like easy people to get along with. Well, I'm hoping future you is having a great flight over and everything's going great. But today we do the the, the episode eighteen way ahead and out of order. Yes, and. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. Daniel Bolelli. By the time, you know, we record two podcasts in a row, I don't even know my own name anymore, so it's I, all good. I sure don't know it either. Um, that's Sara. We remember your name. Thank you so much for sponsoring the podcast. Much, much appreciated. I mentioned it last time on episode 16. I'll mention it again. I started doing a series of pieces for his website. I did one, well, one I didn't really write. It was more taken from 50 things you're not supposed to know about religion, uh, a piece about EQ. And then I did another one about Bruce Lee. I'll probably do more in the upcoming future. And these are all historical figures who are somewhat tied to the idea of creating your own path as opposed to following an established one. So that's sort of the running theme of the thing. If you guys want to check it out, make sure you take a look at the episode notes and there will be links links also to Datsasara in general and if you guys want to buy any gear from him um, computer bags backpacks you name it there will be the appropriate discount codes there discount codes will also be provided for all of our affiliates short design t-shirts kurakao chocolate audible.com so whether you are in the market for t-shirts chocolate or audiobooks 
please go through ours and get the discount. Our own t-shirts, again, the way to go is email me if you guys wanna order a Drunken Taoist t-shirt. Um, we, yeah, the best way is to email me just so I make sure before you guys send over any money whether we have in stock your size and color uh, the way, you know, I, I feel bad stealing your money otherwise. So um, I don't feel bad taking corporate money, but I do feel, you know, if I'm going off to some Monsanto and I can make $3 million of their dollars disappear into my pockets, I'm all for it. But from individuals, no, uh, that's not the way to go. Uh, Daisy House Music, thank you guys so much for the music. Donations, well, since we just did uh, read a list of donations for episode 16 and we're recording five minutes later, we have none. So fresh out. I butcher some. Let me butcher rich name just for fun. Go you right guys ahead. are rich Evers. I've heard that one. Rich Evers. That's correct. Rich Ev. I don't know. Whatever. Rhymes with beavers. Once they know <laughs> that, you'll never hear the end of it. Good, good, good. I tell you, I'd, I'd like just because I'm I'm so heavy into this book, uh, the International Bank of Bob right now. It's all about one of my favorite things in the world, Kiva.org, and just for the hell of it. If you've never been there, go check it out. It's microloans now available for people in the United States as well. But it's more fun to kind of create your own United Colors of Benetton where you can give 25 bucks to help somebody get a new cow or get a new water pump or get things that they need. And it's just amazing how once you get started, you'll just want to make more and more and more. So Kiva.org, just as a free plug because they're fantastic. And as the book I'm reading right now is, is showing me even more like, one of the top rated charities in the whole world cool. that they really do what they say they're going to do and don't take the money awesome and since you mentioned books you got me thinking about amazon link ah. any kind of actually not just book any uh, kind of um any product you want to buy from amazon if you go through our site you still pay the same but we got a tiny cut of it and it's very sweet and nice so we appreciate it if you can remember to do that it's a this is clearly more of an american thing because if you go from other countries it may be a pain and you really have tried to set up amazon accounts through other countries it's a royal pain in the ass you need to have a bank account that is like pretty much not worth it but so it's more of an american thing but again thank you guys so much and uh, I think there's nothing else left to cover, is there? The only thing I can think of is just for fun, uh, go by and visit the forum. And I think I'm going to put a thread up. It'll be a month from now for sure. Let's just do a shout of where everybody's listening from, because I'd love to get a map together. Yep. Yep. And, yep. you know, we know Peru and New Zealand and parts unknown. Bulgaria. Yes, of course, Bulgaria. We got a couple. I guess more than anything, thanks to everybody. Please keep listening. And uh, keep it friendly on the forums because we're all in the same boat. And I think we're really creating something that's a cool community. So that's all I got. Cool. Oh, I have to tell you guys a story just for fun. I'd love to Just to throw it out there. Since I was just thinking about going to Italy, I'll have to mention a tale that... Good God. Um, back a few years ago, I ran into this guy. And uh, we were having a brief conversation. It was in the middle of a martial art tournament. So you can only talk so much. And, this guy's like, so where are you from again? I'm like, I'm from Italy. And he was like, his eyes lit up and he's all excited. He's like, really? I was just in Paris two weeks ago. And I was like, I don't even fucking know what to say. Really? The dude was in Paris and he thought he was in Italy. What the fuck? I mean, what? 
That, uh, obviously an American. Yeah, that was well, geographically challenged. Not just that, he probably felt that, you know, Europe must be locked in the United States and that these aren't countries, but these are states. And being in Europe, well, hell. Or maybe he thought that was Italy. That's like, possible, too. They speak really weird. I expected it to sound different. They sound so, but, you know, <laughs> strange Europeans. One equals the other. The, so another obvious cry for help for our education system. On that note, I'll shut up. We move on. Rant of the day. Um, we are going to start. I'm actually going to use somebody's question. So this is a somewhat of a merge of a rant and ask Bolelli stuff. Um, there's going to be more in the digital make back department, but this will deserve its own rant. Travis already long ago asked me about, I quote, why does Western culture and especially American culture have such fucked up views about sex? Where did this come from? What can we do about it? Um, a lot of it has to do with religion. And I mean, part of what makes us weird is that there's this completely schizophrenic attitude about sexuality where there's heavy Puritan repression on one end and heavy indulgence on the other in ways that is not just fun, pro-sex view, is like obsessive, weird uh, stuff. And we do both at the same time, the heavily. And this is kind of the same thing that we brought up when we talk with Tad Russell. It's the same thing we brought up when we talk with Chris Ryan. If you guys haven't understood it by now, we like talking about sex. Not as much as doing it, but still, that's always fun. Or practicing. Yeah, exactly. But um, I guess, so guess what I want to do is go in a little bit of a historical detour in regard to where do some of these ideas come from and the role that religion plays in the story. Um, so specifically what I like to do for a little bit during a rant is go into a historical detour on uh, evolution of sexuality in Christianity and how that affects some of our ideas today. And the whole debate about sex in Christianity is funny because when you think about it, if, you, if any of you guys ever read the New Testament, Jesus at least assuming that those are the word of Jesus, Jesus was a historical figure, assuming all of that stuff, there are hardly any mention of sex in there. One of the only couple of passages where sex is discussed is a highly disputed one in terms of what he's trying to say, because uh, some people suggest that that passage, Jesus is actually trying to make the opposite point, and he's using um, reductio absurdum, which means he takes in his opponent's logic to its most extreme and dumb consequences. So we don't know whether he's actually saying what he's saying or he's just doing a parody of what some of his opponents are arguing. The bottom line, however you want to interpret it, is that Jesus hardly talks about sex. It's just a known issue in the entire New... Well, not in the New Testament, but in the, in the Gospels. According, the Gospels don't tell us whether Jesus was married or not. I mean, it would have been highly unusual for a Jewish guy at the time not to be. And you expect that to be mentioned by his enemies when they are picking on him for various other reasons. But again, who knows? Bottom line is sex is not a topic in the Gospels. It just doesn't really show up much. So where the fuck does all this stuff about sex come from in the history of Christianity if it doesn't come from Jesus? And the thing to keep in mind is that early Christianity, the second Jesus died, the early Christian community was as split as it could be. 
um, there were all sort of disagreements on just about everything. Because if you do read Jesus' words in the Gospels, they, he speaks in parables, in stories. He's not a guy who sits down to create a system of thought with a clear cut. This is what we believe about this, that and the other. So that left a lot of huge um, missing pieces where many of the early Christians were the what would Jesus do or rather what would Jesus want us to think about such and such issue and so on. And everybody rushed in to fill with their own answer. So when it came to sex, the fact that in regard to sexuality, there was really nothing to fall back on spoken by Jesus left people a bit confused. And so early Christians started throwing all sort of random. And, you know, you went from uh, guys like Carpocrates in the Greek islands arguing that sex orgies were the key to heaven to, you know, the most extreme self-denial on the other end and everything in between. So in other words, early Christians believe everything and its opposite in regard to sex. Much like just about any other topic, including whether Jesus was really a god or not, you know, everything was up for debate in early Christianity. It would be hard to find too many Christians agreeing on any one thing. The only thing they all had in common, they all thought Jesus was a cool guy. Other than that, they disagreed on just about everything. So when it comes to sex, same story. Um, one of the guys that, if it doesn't sound too blasphemous to say, there are people who play a bigger role in Christianity than Jesus himself. Uh, for example, St. Paul. St. Paul is the guy who will author a huge chunk of the New Testament, and he'll throw in his interpretation of Christianity, which will eventually become the dominant one. So St. Paul's role in so many ways is even more almost more important than Jesus himself because he really break down Christian theology emphasizing this is what we believe about a whole bunch of things that Jesus never discussed or discussed in somewhat ambiguous, mysterious ways. So St. Paul interpretation become eventually as it wins out among the competing interpretation will form the heart and soul of Christianity. Is his the first that was written down? Are we 200 years after Jesus' death at this no, point? No, St. Paul is, is just uh, a couple of decades afterwards. St. Paul is... Uh, St. Paul was oddly enough a guy who used to persecute Christians among... He never met Jesus live, right? He had no contact with the guy. But he did live in the first century, so... He did have contacts with early Christians. He heavily persecuted them. And the story is that he had on his way to go persecute more Christians in Syria. He had this conversion experience, hearing Jesus' voice, all of this stuff. Now, some people suggest that he just found a more effective way of persecuting Christians by hijacking the religion and completely turning it around into something else. That's a theory. Who knows? The bottom line is simple ideas, for better or for worse, will become absolutely key to the development of Christian theology. And St. Paul arrived to Christianity with a very heavy baggage of, uh, um, for one, he himself being Jewish, like all of early Christians, he had uh, he went by a lot of Old Testament ideas, which are pretty strict when it comes to sex, but there's no outright condemnation of sexual pleasure itself. Is there are seven million laws about you are supposed to do it, and you know there are a lot of restriction, but pleasure itself is not seen as a bad thing. Except that St. Paul was also influenced by certain branches of Greek philosophy that separated heavily the physical from the spiritual, that emphasized that 
the body is an obstacle that the your mind and your spirit are your true self and the physical is just distracting you from all of this so this heavy dualism of you know the body pulling you one way and your mind and spirit pulling you the other very much part of paul's worldview all of this is made more urgent by the fact that like most early christians saint paul expects the end of the world any minute now he expects jesus to come back any minute the end of the world as we know it any minute so if you put two and two together if you do expect that the end of the world is coming any minute and you do believe that the physical is an obstacle to the spiritual then obviously it makes sense to cast aside the physical to focus 110 percent on spirituality so when saint paul breaks it down when he say what the ideal christian-like behavior is in regard to sex he argues celibacy celibacy is the way to go no sex whatsoever for any reason ever if you really can't pull it off and if you are too weak for celibacy then fine sex for procreation within marriage fine sex for pleasure within marriage is bad but sex for procreation within marriage okay fine we can deal with that i guess sounds like saint paul needed to get laid yeah i mean some of his ideas are really disturbing in a lot of ways he not only by the way he saw it the effect that it have a lot of early christian hermits you read their stories they are a textbook exhibiting to serious psychosis you see some of these guys who go off into the desert to try to stay away from all temptations never wash themselves stay away from everybody um stay away from women in particular and regularly these guys report having visions of naked women coming to tempt them there is one story of this one guy who every time he has a sexual thought he would burn himself with a candle to remind himself of the fire of hell every time you have a sexual thought you burn yourself with a candle i don't think there's enough candles i know good fucking luck at that point right it's like are you kidding me so but i mean you feel sad for these guys because it's like they are clearly very sincere in what they are doing but they are doing some serious weird they're essentially setting up war between their instincts and their bodies on one side and their religious morality in the other which is a recipe for heavy schizophrenic thinking and that tears you up but in any case it makes you hear voices of of unattached yeah deities of course but uh, i mean none of this can be healthy right to make things even weirder in a sense there's this sense that um there are certain physical drives that clearly you can't live without satisfying you know thirst you need to drink or you die food you need to eat or you die oxygen you need to breathe or you die you know there's stuff that you sex was seen as the one thing that you could live without but was seen as this such a powerful force that in the ancient world celibacy was considered mm, nearly impossible and paul kind of goes along with the same line and say that then celibacy is only possible thanks to the grace of god and that so from being a known topic something that jesus never really discussed as a big deal in the new test in the gospels to becoming this huge thing where is the actual proof of whether god is on your side or not in saint paul's vision of the world so sex from goes from being a known issue to becoming a central one in the span of a few decades and so the interpretation of christianity needed to say changes radically as a result of this 
Now, not to kill you guys with a history lesson, so I'm going to hop through the centuries rather quick, but the um, 300 years go by, you know, the world hasn't ended, people start looking at their watch, well, assuming they had watches, so, um, you know, start thinking, okay, you know, we've been waiting for the end of the world and it never fucking comes. In the meantime, Christianity has gone from being this tiny persecuted sect for Jewish people to becoming this universal religion that's the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. Maybe we need to change a couple of things around so guys like saint augustine come along and revise a little bit some teachings about sex it doesn't differ a whole lot from saint paul he pretty much agrees he still confirms that celibacy is the way to go that sex for procreation is the only legitimate sex but sex for pleasure within marriage uh, it's it's a minor sin meaning you should feel very bad about yourself but you're not going to burn in hell just because of that. This is all guilt-driven every step of the way. Absolutely. I mean, he believed that, uh, to give you an idea of some of these guys, St. Augustine is a guy who referred to sex as this diabolical excitement of the genitals, which is like, man, Jesus Christ. Except for the diabolical part, I think I'm down with right. that. Right. Yeah, oddly enough, by the way, St. Augustine, had, uh, he was fully in favor of legalized prostitution, and in fact, because of St. Augustine, prostitution was legal throughout much of Christian European history in most cities. Because what he argued, he argued for it in a very weird way. I mean, I appreciate the result, but the way to get there was bizarre. He argued that there are too many sex-crazed men who would otherwise go after good, virtuous Christian women. And so legal prostitution was the only way to safeguard good Christian women. I think that's how all massage parlors stay open in modern Los Angeles. Right. But, you know, on that note. But besides that, you know, the thing is, Augustine was, uh, he basically confirms this idea that celibacy is ideal. No sex whatsoever. Sex for procreation is okay. Sex for pleasure is bad any kind of sexual pleasure regardless of marriage or not marriage never mind the out of marriage stuff that's downright you know anything from masturbation to oral sex to homosexuality to you you name it you know now to make things a little more difficult because this is too easy to live up to you could be totally celibate or only have sex for procreation and still be committing sexual sins Exactly, you're thinking about it. And thinking about it just as bad as doing it. Oh, God. She's like, you're thinking about it? I mean, talk about a rule that's made to be broken, right? There's this... Uh, I just broke it. <laughs> well, that part, the disturbing part is that he's staring at me from across the table. Well, so, we, we well, established that a few episodes back. So. Right. But uh, there's a Zen story that I particularly dig. By now, I don't even remember if it's a Zen story. I think it is, but I forgot the source. But it talks about this one guy who goes see the Zen master and say, ah, you know, I, I like what you got. I, I, you seem peaceful and all. I, I want to be like you. How do I become enlightened? Zen master must be in a funny mode. So he said, easy. All you have to do is for the next 24 hours, don't think about monkeys. Guy's like, but I never thought about it. He's like, Shh, shut up, be quiet, go away, come back in 24 hours, let's talk about it. Monkey, 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 monkey. The next 24 hours are the most monkey-filled hours of his life because all he can think about is how he's not supposed to be thinking about monkeys. <laughs> Point being, the more you repress something, the more you guarantee that that's where your attention goes. That's why we, you know, with kids, if you tell them, go anywhere you want in this park, just don't go there, 
that's where the attention is, right? Well, just going back to our, our, our parenting lessons from the other right. day, the worst thing you can ever do is lay down the boundaries that you can never, ever, ever, especially when it gets to teenagers. Yeah. So we found it's easiest just to kind of go along and hope for the best and that good decisions are made. Yeah, because, I mean, when you make something a taboo, you make sure that people will obsess about it. Hell yeah. When you make sure sex a taboo, which just by virtue of having a body means that everybody who has a body will have strong sexual instincts, you're guaranteeing to become a number one source of obsession, which is perfect because then you just say that that's sinful and horrible and the only people who can forgive you is us. So you have established a perfect system of control for we are essentially prescribing that your instincts and being alive is a sin and the only way to be redeemed is to come to us. And confess. Yeah. We tell us some awesome stories about the weekend. Right. Which not to get too conspiracy theory like, but if there ever is a way to control people, that's a perfect recipe to do so. Once you planting them the seeds of them making them feel shitty about themselves and their bodies and their instincts and all of that you don't even have to convert them they will be knocking on your door for salvation you know because you have planted the seed inside of them of them being at war with themselves so you know now, i know you're going through history with this but how do our how do our 1 billion muslim 1 billion plus muslim friends fit into all this yeah i mean when you look at the, like judaism and christianity christianity will actually fit back into the judaism islam mold which the jewish and muslim mold is not against sex for pleasure per se is about seven gazillion rules about sex so sexual pleasure within marriage fine any other thing, terrible, horrible, you know, all of that stuff. Christianity is even more radical than that because it argues for sex for pleasure is bad in any context early on, which is the reason for celibacy and for priests and all of that. But then eventually falls back into the mold like the um, Protestant movement, like Martin Luther will argue against St. Paul, will argue that celibacy will drive you insane that sex for pleasure is legitimate within marriage so it still leaves out any other type of sexuality but uh, at least you know it allows for some form of sexual pleasure now the, the devil's advocate of all this would say that well they wanted a mommy and a daddy available once you start cranking out children like this it would be the argument that why only within a sexual uh, yeah that works so well oh know, no no I, I didn't say it works right. it just seems like if you wanted to argue that, if you had to have some great excuse to why we do it this way. Sure, 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 sure. But I mean, the reality of it is that, uh, as Chris Ryan mentioned before, far from being the, on- the whole idea of the nuclear family is far from being the only one that works for raising kids. Totally. So there's that. And plus, the process of this is an insane level of guilt associated with sex that will characterize um, much of Western life. Now, the thing is, this creates the two opposite elements, the elements of once you decide to screw all this and go for the go for it, then you don't just go for it a little bit. You go all out in ways that are not just having a healthy sexuality, but you are there's so much repressed and repression and sense of guilt that when you break the rules, you break them going. I mean, like the Ted Haggard of the world, right? <laughs> President of the Evangelical <laughs> Association in the United States who... Uh, uh, homosexuality is terrible. Any sex outside of marriage is terrible. Masturbation. Flying to Europe with some partners. Burn to hell. Except that Danny got busted uh, doing math with a gay hooker. Yeah. Which I mean is like, 
really is like masturbation is terrible but because that's the nature of the business right once you break the rule you don't go a little off you go way off the deep end on the other way what you're not understanding is the importance that i saw how the other laugh how they have lived to get a more of a feeling for the depravity and try to right. help my flock in and correcting their own incongruities with their uh, uh natural leanings and and temptations um is why i did all that that's why it's plus nice. meth is awesome and so are boys yeah devil made me do it right <sighs> is the standard you even have, I mean, these affects Western culture in so many ways. It's even hard to sum them up. You see things from like Victorian England where people would wrap the legs of table in cloth. Why? Because they have legs. That's just they, crazy. If they are bare, they may give you ideas. Mm. Like, well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't do it for me. But those two mountains over there are certainly leaning yes. me towards something. Exactly. Cover those mountains. You have things like masturbation, a lot of medical manuals, not just religious stuff, medical manuals. We're talking of masturbation as self-abuse, which is like hilarious, right? You I know have, we've talked uh, about it a thousand times, like the, the, the hysterical rectomy where the, the women would go be released mm-hmm. by the, the doctor's vibrator machines. Right. I mean, yeah, some of this stuff is just nuts. And some of it is weird because there's a lot of it that's still with us where you have this... Uh, weird schizophrenic like in LA you know if you go to the San Fernando Valley we are the world capital of porn we make more porn than anyone on earth and at the same time if a woman decides to go on a beach topless she gets to be arrested for indecent exposure she's like whoa talk about weird extremes you know or you have the took 14 months to create a congressional investigation into September 11th took two weeks to create a congressional investigation on when a few years ago Janet Jackson boob popped out of her dress for like a quarter of a second during a Super Bowl to determine whether it was accidental or not. Some of our priorities about these are bizarre to say the least. My favorite is for those of you guys who play video games, you know, if you if you play the typical video game, you know, you're an ninja assassin chopping people's head off or, you know, you have an AK-47 and you mow down a few thousand people by the time the game is over, you get your PG-13 kind of rating or whatever is the equivalent in video game terms. One tip. Yeah. If you have any type of nudity whatsoever, even in the most mellow game ever, you automatically get the most, the highest restrictions there are, which I don't know about you guys, but... Which one would you rather see coming at you in a dark alley? Ninja wielding an AK-47 or boobs? Which one is scarier? You know, it's like, really? That's just some fucked up priorities. No, the, right the movies seem to be the same way. You know, girl in a tiny bikini, possibly R, especially if it slips off. Girl with axe in her face, PG-13. Yeah, precisely. Because we're way more comfortable with extreme violence and bloodshed than we are with sex, which again, does not say something very healthy about where we're at and even that you see today when um, these reinforce the anti-sex weird vibe is reinforced then by patriarchal bullshit where particularly i mean if these vibes are bad for everybody the way they have been passed on to women they are 10 times worse because the typical in any patriarchal society the typical thing has been there are rules for everybody except that men will have exceptions to them and women whatever you know so so in the case of women the whole thing that to this day you have i mean in fuck, right here right now in uh, even places like la california you can have the thing where 
woman having sex left and right she's you know there's she's a terrible slut and horrible and all of this and that to me right there not only is horrendously chauvinist and patriarchal in fucked up ways but it really boils down to being anti-sex and the people who have that mentality of condemnation toward women having sex left and right as much as they please are the same people that when they do have sex, they have sex in some weird fucked up ways that's about power and using. And that's the same reason why a lot of porn is really awful. As much as I mentioned multiple times, how on one end I dig the idea because the idea of seeing people having sex is fun for voyeuristic terms. The quality in which it's done is, oh shit, you know. So I'll, you know, I'll defend the idea of porn from like some hardcore fundamentalists, but then the result of it is often yike you know you need to really to be able to get that visual of oh that hot position that they are in or something that you can throw into your fantasy at some point you have to wade through so much anti-women crap where there's this nasty aggressive semi-violent vibe that's just fucked up it's that's not about good sex that's no no one needs to be choked to have a good time no fuck that i mean all of that stuff is really turn me off and uh it would be awesome if somebody made some great porn as far as good healthy passionate intense wild sex most of what's done is like yeah you know it's unfortunately you get stuck from on one end you have the puritan freaks and on the other end you have the sick version of what having sex is and that go a long way to support the arguments of the puritan ones look 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 what they do yeah look absolutely. how crazy de- depraved this is they feed each other right they they're totally made for each other and uh, so in fer- terms of what we can do is clearly none of these models are particularly desirable not the crazy puritan freaks who are out to make you feel horrible out of your body and sex not the uh, the way in which people are supposedly freeing themselves which is I mean, good if it works for you, but that clearly doesn't scream uh, health to me. It seems like there's anger and repression and weirdness about it all. So it really starting like the one emotion that I think would need to be banished as quick as possible is sense of guilt about a lot of things. Um, and particularly when it comes to sex, particularly when it comes to your own body, first and foremost it's about really developing good instincts it's not about repressing instincts it's not about just going crazy it's about developing good instincts just being in touch with your body being in touch with being a decent human being and accepting yourself in your totality that right there goes a million miles in a good direction which you're never going to achieve if you spend the first 12 years of your life poured with guilt of course because, oh my God, I, I touched myself. And, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now I'm going to go to hell and my, my palms are going to get hairy. And uh, and when the only alternatives you're given are the repressive freaks or the gross self-indulgence, you feel that... And that, by the way, is a good rule of thumb. When, they, when people are asking you to pick between two things that are extreme opposites, that's a trick. As, as they would say in Army of Darkness, that's a trick. Get an axe. Because <laughs> it's like, they are bullshitting you. Because those are not, those are both bad alternatives. And uh, the solution is not to into following either one of those. It's about developing a healthy attitude that transcends both extremes and is something entirely different. Now, this is more leaning towards the American view of things. What about 
Brazil or, or France or, or countries we kind of think of, you know, the Scandinavian countries seem to be really open. No, I mean, again... Is um, it the, the lack of, of religion? Some of it I is mean, hard to talk about because is unless you've lived there for a long time, hard to tell. So right. I can read my own experience. I can speak of Italy, I can speak of US, I can speak of a whole lot of other places other than hearsay and hearsay. Is, well, just, yeah, and then it's all yeah. it hearsay that you hear that these are kind right. of looser societies, even with Christ Redeemer up there in the top of Rio. Right. They're having a good time on the beach. Yeah. The, um, yeah, I don't know. But um, Italy, I mean, to one degree or another, similar weird crap. So not particularly different in that regard. But speaking of moving from country to country, one thing that puzzled me was coming to the United States. Among the being a fob with an only tentative knowledge of the English language, sometimes I'm confused by English words. And one that really puzzled me is the word slut, as in S L U T, in case you can't understand my pronunciation. If you define sex as a healthy, good thing, then the idea of a slut, somebody who is freely and indiscriminately giving sex away left and right, I thought it meant a philanthropist, a humanitarian, you know, it's like kind of like a Mother Teresa of sex, just like <laughs> helping the poor, sort of a goddess of compassion. And goddess, uh, there you go. Uh, so I was very puzzled when I saw it that it was used in a negative way. I couldn't quite figure that out. Very, it seemed very confusing to me. Well, normally directed from one female to another more than anything. That's slut. Yeah, that's the other thing is, uh, I forget what comedian said that. It was pretty funny. Um uh, a misogynist uh, what was it Did you, do you remember oh, fuck, I forget it I can't even say because now I fucked it up and I forgot it and by the time I get it well good I've lost it but yeah the weirdness <laughs> of all of this is that some of the rules that are uh, that are set up that sound like horrible patriarchal rules some of the very first people who enforce them are women on other women and uh, not just from men to women but women to women yeah that's like internalized oppression when you fuck things up by putting down somebody else through ideas that are really designed to just fuck up with everybody's self-esteem. And uh, so to me, like anytime anybody using the word slut or talking somebody weird because of their sexual, it's like, go fuck yourself. I don't need to know any about the discussion. I don't need to know about the specifics. You're just an awful human being who needs to be shot. That's just where it's at. Mind your own damn business. Definitely. And, uh, and clap to the philanthropist passing by. Good for them and good for all the recipients of all this sweet love. As long as she's not spreading any diseases, she's just doing favors. Yep, big time. That, so, was, a ran that was ran terrific. Yep. So on that note, I hope the question was answered. I have a dream today. And now we cross the ethereal plane for a visit into Bellelli's dream time. It's dream time once again. So we'll delve deep into the, the interworkings of, of Daniele's brain as it, as it processes the day's well, events. Related to uh, our um, rant of the day, I go back many, many years. I go back to when I was, I think, 16 or something. And um, among the assignments that I was supposed to do in high school, and Italian high school is brutal, you know, it's in intensely hard and you have to study like a dog or they fail you and you never get like my third year of high school there were um, Italian high school unlike what happens in uh, US where people switch from classroom to classroom and you are in the same class and different professors come in so you have the same 30 people that you are in the class with all the time right and 
the, um, the third year of high school, I had 30 people to start with and I had 13 by the time this, the year was over because they failed 17 out and would have to either drop out or repeat the year. So, I mean, it's a brutal process. When you have to study, you really have to study, right? When you fail out, is, are, you, are you off to the boot factory or to learn to fix cars? or is there Either that or you can try and just you wasted a year and you repeat over again, right? So, I mean, there's some serious incentive to study because you can fuck up your life big time. And no sports. And no sports. Yeah, Italian high school sucks. But in any case, the, um, so one of my summer assignments, among the many things I was supposed to do, I was supposed to read this book, The Confessions of St. Augustine, which we just mentioned in the rant. Disturbed, crazy motherfucker, St. Augustine, who was really, when you think about the fact that, I mean, when you read the dude, he's clearly a sociopath in a lot of ways. The fact that his ideas have ended up shaping a huge chunk of Western culture is scary, but whatever. So the Confessions of St. Augustine, he actually writes fairly well. He gets you into the story, but it's all this, like, there's guilt pouring out of every word. And uh, I was traveling, so I was reading this uh, book, and it was just getting to me after a while, you know, page after page of guilt, 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 more guilt, <laughs> and then more guilt. And, you know, you're on the train, and there's guilt just squashing you in a corner where there's... Uh, didn't help things that there was a woman in a tiny dress across from me and all of that. You read it all these six months. You're going to burn in hell because sexual temptation is the thing that it's like, you know, you're 16, Jesus. And, and this train is about to go in a tunnel. Yeah, it's bad news. But in any case, so after too long of reading that stuff, I did have this dream where one of the following nights I dreamed that... Uh, I was laying there and I saw all of a sudden I feel a stirring, like sexual stuff. And I look down and I see my own penis turning into a three foot long mountain lion trying to kill me. And so I have to fight this thing that's attached to me and it's like until I chop its head off with a knife. And yeah, as usual, knives and blood and stuff, that's typical. But you know, anytime you dream that your own stuff is turning into a three foot long mountain lion, <laughs> that's usually a sign that maybe you read a little too much of St. Augustine and it's time to go to the beach and. Uh, and stop having these eunuchy thoughts that you got going yeah, on. This is terrible. So talk about this i think actually the idea for the three foot long mountain lion i saw it in like a roman sculpture where there is an actual sculpture of some dude fighting his own mountain lion penis with a sword and uh that was pretty funny but more things um, to look up everybody mountain lion penis sword guy <laughs> no. so yeah but you weren't really religious so where doesn't do you, matter. No, no. Doesn't matter. You think it's, the guilt uh, was just yeah, swirling around. It is with the with the, with the giant doses you, of hormones. Yeah, you just soak it up by being alive, by everything you hear from people around you, and and again, yeah, not even me, but most of the people around me weren't. But it doesn't matter. You know that can be gone, and the guilt is still laying around. I had some some pretty incredible guilt just a, a couple of days ago. Why? This will be a month ago to everybody else, but I, I just I have my I have my, my massive move, of course. Mm -hmm. And when you move, a kajillion tons of garbage come along with it. Well, now that we have the internet, we discovered that in Agora Hills there is a landfill. What an ugly, horrible thing a landfill is! Right. <clears throat> but when you have seventeen hundred pounds of garbage to get rid of, yeah, and the landfill. You pay $40 a ton? 
the landfill becomes an amazing, wonderful, guilt-free thing where we took 1,352 pounds of garbage. Jesus. Threw it on the ground with glee. Mm-hmm. Go away, smashing bottles and things as we shoved it all off and drove on our merry way. Mom. Paid a guy $40 and he and his big bulldozer took care of it. Okay, I changed my mind. You should feel guilty. I guilt do. Guilt is a good I thing. Do. It is a good thing, you know? It, it, it's funny. It's sort of a, it was a combination. It, it's a landfill nirvana or hell, you know? Right. Because this cannot be a good practice. No, definitely. And if you see the thing, it's, it's, they're, they're building their own mountain. Right. But as they've at least learned over years how they'll catch on fire internally, mm-hmm. there's all these crazy tubes and pipes running through things and all sorts of anti-erosion uh, measures going on. So this thing will be a towering example to some archaeologists 10,000 years from now. They'll wow. be like, damn, why did Rich throw away this perfectly good remote? That yeah. Could- it was a tough guilty. moment, but in the moment, getting rid of it, not having to deal with it, or not having to pay somebody to come one bucket at a time for $80, it was really incredible. Well, at least you didn't have parts of your own body turn into a mountain lion trying to kill you. So Very happy. You- but later that evening, my arm turned into a garbage truck that fought in the recycle bin. Well, so. in that case, different story. <laughs> cool. Dream time is up. We'll move on to storytelling. Ooh. Now, story time a month ago was sort of a a stunning one. Now, we did have a a tragic death in the end of it, so that wasn't surprising. But it was just blood, sweat, and tears of of a young girl Mm -hmm. striving to be great. Yep. No, that that was cool. Today is a little bit less of a full story with a beginning and an end. There's more, like, strange characters to be introduced. And the theme today is pretty clear. We're going from story time to the rant. It's all the same stuff. So, is this the, got a mountain lion with somebody's sword in it? No mountain lions, but definitely about sex. Specifically, ah. here we have some sex heroes. So within religion, actually. Carpocrates, we mentioned him already so many times. But yeah, Google him. He's funny. He's, I'm, uh, I'm making a statue for him. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, one guy that I never mentioned in a podcast that's an interesting character when you talk about sex and religion um, a Tibetan monk, priest, whatever you want to call it, by the name of Drukpa Kunli. I probably am butchering his name as much as I butcher yours when you guys donate. Um, unlike the mountain lion story just related in the dream, his penis was actually renowned as the flaming thunderbolt of wisdom, which I think I'm going to start bringing that back up as a... I, I dig that flaming thunderbolt of wisdom. We can do that. <laughs> And um, there's worse names to be know, called. Yeah, he was, you know, Tibetan, part of the uh, Tibetan Buddhism. The stories about him too are hilarious. The story goes that anytime he went into a new town, his first question was, Where can I find the best beer and the prettiest women? And uh, they say that all in all, he had some like 5,000 girlfriends in various parts of Tibet. Women found him irresistible. Often they had sex with him right on the spot, often even in public places. 
yeah, no problem doing it in public. There's this tale of like people gathering around and they are all staring at him having sex with this lady. Wait, him to whip the flaming and, uh, thunderbolt out. I can't blame yeah. him at all. And uh, he said, "Well, if you don't know how to do it, here is your chance to learn." Wow. Just, uh, he is renowned as the prime example of uh, crazy wisdom. You know that saying to the break all rules that characterize. There are, it's actually it exists in several religious traditions, but definitely shows up here. And uh, some of the tales, I mean, obviously there's some some stories about women having achieving enlightenment while having sex with him. Not just the that's that trumps any good orgasm you have on any given day when suddenly you have spiritual enlightenment through sex. Doesn't get much better than that, right? Wow. He um there was this tale of him walking into while there are priests and philosophers gathered to discuss Buddhist philosophy. And he doesn't bow to the priests on the high chairs. He doesn't bow to the main philosophers. He just prostrate himself in front of a pretty girl sitting on the steps. And when the monks protested and they were all mad and uh, coolly pointed at the girl's crotch saying, uh, as the source of all that comes into this world, she and not your arid words or the, a building of stone represents the real mother of all wisdom, which not a bad gig. Um, <laughs> his daily routine included uh, food, beer, music, song, sex, meditation. And um, I mean, you know, the guy is as wild as the guy could be. Oddly enough, you do find he's not alone you know you do find a few of these characters in religious history there's this one guy Tao Chi uh, Chinese master who um, I believe Buddhist either Taoist or Buddhist I want to say Buddhist um, they say that when the emperor had heard of uh, this guy's reputation he had sent for him but nobody could find him and then after the imperial delegation had departed Tao Chi returned to his monastery and telling his friends that he had been I quote drinking in the wine shops and sleeping in the brothels that is where i practice best definitely not in the palace you know you got those guys or um and i mean some of the stories about crazy wisdom are brilliant like back to Conley, the tibetan guy here uh, there's this tale about this one tribal chieftain giving a ton of gold and wealth to trukpa as uh, acknowledging what uh, brilliant guy he was and he spent there two hours playing with the jewels, playing with them, going, doing this and that, and then giving them back. And his thing was like, you really can't take them with you. A moment of enjoyment is enough. Thank you. I had fun with that. That was really fun. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm done. You know, it's like, so guys like these are in many ways in the shape of my old time hero, Ikyu Sojun, that we discussed before. And um, I mean... I dig the fact of uh, these people who go completely against the heavy Puritan religious repression of their time, whether they are Buddhist, whether they are uh, Taoist, whether they are like Carpocrates Christian or whether they are whatever. And they take this fully embracing view of human sexuality that's not just tied to reproduction the sun or the stuff that you get today because you know to being a sex freak today doesn't get quite the same rep as it had in the past so even hardcore <laughs> fundamentalists argue that oh for sex for pleasure in marriage blah 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 but these guys don't sound like freaks they sound more like artists yep yep yep, yep i think yep. it may be time for a new uh new mountain rushmore 
We call it Mount Cockmore. <laughs> EQ, Drupakunli, uh, Carpocratis. Yeah, I think these guys is because they, they are. They don't sound like they're not running around raping. No, these women are happy to meet them. Absolutely, these are good guidelines for people to learn, rules to follow. Yep. And again, it goes back to the basic ground rules. Anything you do, including in this guy's case, breaking lots of rules. What's the result? If anybody directly affected by it walk away happy, you're doing nothing wrong. It does sound like there was a bit of a danger of catching an arrow in the face from an angry husband or two along the way. Yeah, but sure. You have that. That's the game. Yep, that is the game. It's uh, crazy Not wisdom. Is, I'm going to get to work on that immediately. You should. You should. <laughs> definitely. But... Uh, so it's the game. Not exactly storytelling. It's not a real story with a beginning and an end, but because hey. it's just in the middle right now. Yeah, but uh, good times. So the flaming thunderbolt of wisdom. Here we go. <laughs> All right, it's time to delve once again deep into the digital mailbag. Yes, yes, yes. So we got a bunch as usual. Um, let's start with uh, Jake from Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, that right there, there's issues. Um, <laughs> no, nothing personal. <laughs> there's one statistic that I saw about Utah that cracked me up. A few years ago, there was this... Uh, More Osmonds than any other uh, state in the union. There was a case where um, some groups were trying to have internet porn banned from... I'm sorry, not internet. Um, pay-per-view porn banned from hotel chains operating in Utah, arguing that basically goes against the standards of the community. And so... So they did this study about porn consumption. Turned out that Utah is like three times the porn consumption of, you know, under the file, what people say and what people do are two very different things. Oh, yeah, things. I don't know if it was the same study, but it came out that more interracial porn is viewed in the South than anywhere else. Oh, that's hilarious. Where but, those rednecks would be like, hell no, till they get a looted night. Yeah, but um, sorry, Jake, for picking on some random detail that probably has nothing to do with who you are as a human being and is based on stereotypes because I haven't really spent that much time in Salt Lake City. So, yes, I can shut up and move on to actually answering your questions. <laughs> um, questions are actually deep. Um, I quote, what, if any, is the best way to incorporate Taoism into professions such as lawyers and deal brokers, which don't necessarily lend themselves easily to a Taoist tradition of acting like water? Um, with lawyers, especially given the adversarial nature of the profession, I find it hard to let go when opposing parties are especially nasty, deceitful, or deliberately uncooperative. Um, anything about how to apply it within the contest? Uh, 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 um. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky, right? Because the idea is... Taoism is not always necessarily about being a nice guy. And that's one thing to understand is that if you look at a lot of um, books like 48 Laws of Power, you know, the Green's book that are fairly manipulative, the way they are set up, they are about essentially how to win the game by screwing over people and by doing all this. A lot of his thinking does fit with Taoist principles. It's just not there's no moral side to it. I disagree with the conclusions, but as far as the applying, being effective, that's a whole different game. A lot of Taoism speak the language of effectiveness. And so in that regard, to me, a key thing, and this applies to all of life, including anything in which you have to interact with other human beings, including such jobs as what you mentioned, 
is empathy. Empathy to me also has a moral element to it, which empathy means being able to put yourself into somebody else's shoes, to feel what they feel, to see the world the way they do, to me is also about eventually leading them to a place where you can both get what you want and be happy with the result. Clearly, that's not the result of an adversarial relationship where one person is going to squash the other and one person is going to build a career and the other isn't and all of that. I get that. But uh, as far as applying the same idea, that doesn't change. The um, empathy, if you apply it to Robert Greene approaches, you do learn it as a technique in his case in order to do your job better and be able to see where they are coming from what motivates them. If you're a good human being, you could use that information to try to get something good for you and them and trying to, you know, empathy in that regard. If you are in a situation where being nice proves uh, detrimental, then it's just about understanding where you're coming from and using the information however you see fit. You know, the moral dimension is up to you. Nobody can make the call. Uh, how you use basic principles to be more effective, that's a whole different game. That's where Taoism comes into the picture. It's about effectiveness. It's about getting the job done with the least amount of effort. That does not necessarily mean that you're a nice person. You know, that really boils down to... Taoism in many ways is about power. It's about how to use the power you understand uh, of how life works to flow through it better, to get to get to a certain results better at the same time what the result is what you accomplish through the process what you do that changes dramatically on who you are the context the specifics so that's where i can throw in my two cents on a personal level but not so much on a more high-minded philosophical level and again you'd be surprised that sometimes the nastiest meanest people when you don't you don't show up defensively, you don't oppose force against force with them, you would be surprised at how often people can mellow out and turn out to be way nicer than expected because you don't oppose them, because you're not uh, fighting force with force. You know, everybody, when you yell at somebody, when you are confrontational or even passive-aggressive, people get defensive because they feel that you are coming at them and they put their guards up. Shields up. When you don't put your guards up, most people drop their own guard. And if you're a dick, you're going to use that moment to hit them. And if you're not a dick, you're going to try to find a way to use that dropping of the guard to, hey, how can we work where we both walk away happy from this interaction? Again, easier said than done in a contest in which you are in direct competition and only one person can get what they want out of it. Well, especially in a case where you are, you know, the big corporate lawyer that is trying to screw some widow out of her insurance claim. Or sure. I don't think there's any application for it there other than using human nature right. to, to lean on them and make it even worse. Exactly. So in this case, I, unfortunately, it's hard to tell because I can't really, you know, the... Um, question itself is not specific enough in terms of what context are we talking about what kind of law what are you doing where are the people that uh, are uh, you're arguing against you know the, the, all of that changes tremendously yeah. the specific if you're some context. damn defense attorney who has no problem getting murderers off the hook right then you're not worried about this anyway right and that's why it like it changes a lot in a context specific fashion but i guess in general the principles are the same regardless of the moral dimension that you may attach to it the um, but yeah as a general rule 
even in warfare, so not something nice per se. Um, it's all about a more subtle approach, more often than not, is more effective than the more defensive, you know, they hit you, you hit them back directly, you know, they're, the indirect way gets the job done a lot better at some time. In any case, next. Um, mm, 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 mm. Jacob Allen, uh, could you tell us about how monotheism came to be the prevailing worldview over polytheism and what do you think our world would be like today at polytheism one out? Covered in lots of God statues. Yeah, <laughs> there's uh, there's actually an interesting book by some guy whose name I'm right now forgetting uh, called God Against Gods that covers the history of the monotheism versus polytheism battle in the Western world. And uh, keep in mind, people sometimes, when they are not too fond of monotheism, they tend to romanticize polytheistic beliefs and imagine that because they are not the monotheistic crap that they are used to, they must be great and wonderful. And I mean, there's a lot of nasty things that have uh, been done and justified in the name of polytheistic religious beliefs. You know, whether you're looking at Aztec human sacrifice, whether you're looking at, you know, there's a long list of things that... But the one good thing that you do find in uh, places where one form or another of polytheistic beliefs were practiced is that there's always room for one more. The fact that you run into people with a different religion doesn't automatically mean that you need to squash them out of the earth because they are the enemy. Polytheism means it's like there's even this um, great thing that like in ancient Greece they had the altars to seven gazillion gods and then they had the altar to the unknown gods. Because, you know, just because we haven't run into them doesn't mean that there are not a few others out there. And you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So on one end... It's certainly, it doesn't prevent you from doing fucked up stuff because human beings will find a way to do fucked up stuff in polytheistic contexts as much as in monotheistic ones. But what it does do is that it makes you a little more open-minded where conflict doesn't have to be automatic at least. Having said that, in monotheism, by definition, you know, if you believe that there's only one God who tells you, spells out for you how to live, well, the options there are pretty limited. You either follow it or you don't. You're either on board or it's kind of like tracing a line in the sand and you're either on board or you're out. There's not a whole lot of room for neutrality. So it makes the relationship with difference, with anybody who's different from you, um, more complicated because there's not room for one more as much. In a sense, however, monotheism gives you power because uh, it's so much more driven there's more this sense of a mission, you know, a la Blues Brothers, who are on a mission from God kind of thing, that it inevitably makes people practicing it more hardcore, more driven. There's the a characteristic of monotheistic religion is the idea of holy war that you don't really find in most other contexts, this sense that the whole, there's a battle between absolute good and absolute evil and the forces of good have to triumph over the forces of evil. So it does give you power, which historically speaking makes it easier. Now, never mind the fact that also historically speaking, monotheism was very handy for people like, uh, you know, Roman emperors like Constantine, who uh, they were, their main struggle was how to unify very diverse people. Having a whole bunch of different gods worship in different parts of the empire didn't lead to that. Having one god for all humanity tied to one emperor would give more power 
to the, to themselves essentially because then they become the representative of god on earth in some way so it became a very good uh, strategic standpoint for people who want to unify power monotheism was more advantageous but um so i mean i think um, at polytheism one out there would still be an insane amount of fucked up stif- stuff that human beings do to each other because that's just the nature of the business that's just what we do as a species less so that is religiously motivated there would be some not as much probably in terms of the we versus them mentality based on religion that's why if you look at like american indian religions for example in north america and this is not romanticizing anything because american indians bash each other heads long before contact with european for a variety of reasons but not over religion because it just didn't make any sense it's like the idea was there's more than one way to the truth so you have a different way from mine why the fuck should i care or want to squash it if anything i'm gonna check it out and maybe i'll borrow some ideas from you and mix it with my own you know so you would still have a lot of horrible things happening in the world less so that are directly religiously justified well it's not completely gone either what is it the shintos who are the ones that make all the the yeah and that speaking of exceptions to the rule like right there you know you take something like shinto which in its basics is a very mellow nature worshiping religion and the way it was twisted by the japanese during world war ii turned into this nationalistic driven ideology that did provide the we versus them mentality that uh, world war ii was based on for the japanese at least so you know there are always ways to make it say whatever you want to say just a little harder with polytheistic traditions and along that line julian asks us about uh, our thoughts on uh, wiccan faiths practices that are um, non-denominational or links with eastern religions i mean one thing that i dig about traditions that are by their very nature rooted in the notion that there's more than one right way is the open-mindedness doesn't mean they are good but at least it means that there's a open-mindedness to multiple possibilities rather than believing that you own the truth from a to z and therefore if you run into somebody else who has a different worldview automatically you know they must be wrong because if you own the truth and it's the one and only I think that right there is what makes me be more sympathetic to the non-denominational. A lot of Eastern traditions fit into this. Most tribal religions fit into this. Um, I tend to dig considerably more. Doesn't mean there are no problems with it, because there are. But at least you don't have that inbred intolerance that's born in by the beliefs that there's only one right way and one way to get to it. Well, they seem much more earthbound and, and peaceful and nature-driven than yeah and again you know it's like the cool things about our religions evolve over time is that you took something like christianity which traditionally hasn't had the most earth-friendly approach ever and today there are many christians who because they realize that there are serious environmental issues that are a big part of who they are as people and they care they are going to find ways to bring it in the tradition and they don't even have to struggle that hard you know they will argue things like if the earth was created by god then by destroying the earth you're hurting god's creation and then you're fucked up and so they do kind of bring an environmental twist to christianity that hadn't been there before all the power to you you know that's uh, as long as the result is good don't really care how you justify it really um uh, we are not done two more 
Um, or you know what? We are done. Maybe we'll keep them for the next ones because we are. Yeah, we have too many questions. So let's. Uh, yeah, we'll keep a couple more for the next one. Let's jump. We'll add one little segment to our regular cycle of segments, and we're gonna jump into the Isabella moment in one second. <laughs> together okay ready we're running away from the from bad, bad police, police. <laughs> okay yeah you do it <laughs> running away from the bad police <laughs> i love you baby isabella moment Okay, in episode 16, we had, uh, I forget how I got there, but there was some references to my strange child. And speaking of my strange child, today is the the weird psychic things that have happened. That uh, when people told me, tell me about scientific stuff, what you can measure, and I always realize there are so many things that happen that seems to defy my understanding of the universe that forced me to keep an open mind like two fires happening right next to our two houses 57 miles apart you and your damn conspiracy theories yes <laughs> um, now one thing that happened several things that have happened start with when um, when isabella before she was even born uh, one thing that i thought was really funny was when she started uh, kicking and moving around when they are i forgot four or five whatever many months um when her own mom would put a hand on she would continue happily kicking and moving around if anybody else touched she would stop so far so good nothing too weird because you know it's her own mom you probably can feel it is the same body there's no separation or i don't know how but whatever you can do it the part that started getting me a little weirded out was when after two or three weeks of getting used to me in that sense when I would put my hand on, she would keep kicking around. If anybody else put their hand on, she would stop immediately. And it's like, how the fuck do you know is my hand is not somebody else's? We're in the same room. There are multiple people. I do it. It's fine. Somebody else put their hands. She stops. Huh. Weird. Nothing too weird. I mean, whatever. There could be reasons. I don't know which ones, but... Cut one second. I need to kill a spider. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Spider dispatched, like like this angry angry tiger cock monster. Yeah, I had to. I'm sorry, we had to interrupt because I had to murder a poor creature. I'm not sure if he was poisonous or not, and that's why my ignorance equaled the poor bug's death. But. Um, so, so far, nothing too weird. I mean, it was slightly weird, for example, when uh, um, we did a home birth, so no hospital, no nothing, and we had just received all the, the pool, the, all the materials that you need and stuff. And I remember it was like midnight one night, and um, my wife Elizabeth was saying, kind of talking to her and saying, okay, we're ready to go now. Anytime you're ready, now we're set. It was like 12, 12, 30, three hours later, contractions begin and off we go. And I was like, okay, this baby, listen. And it happened a few times where it was funny. You know, it's like those coincidences that are funny. Like, you know, she wouldn't kick for many hours and you start freaking out and you go like, 
hey baby, you really need to show us a sign that all is good. Yeah, it's like boom, boom. It's like oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, or uh, same thing we did. Um, ultrasound and the baby was turned the wrong way and he's like oh come on we need you to turn the other way da, da, da. plop turn the other it's like okay this good baby <laughs> thanks you know but you know this is just uh, enters in the realm of random coincidences and whatever where it gets a little weird and there have been a lot of these moments um i'll just give you a few for the sake of simplicity two years old or so um Jamie, the same person who did our Drunken Taoist logo, was babysitting her a bit and she came by and brought this gift for her, wrapped up. I was like, uh, what do you think it is? And you know, it's clearly either a book or something, it's like square, big, thin. And Isabella goes, it's a cat. And you know, I'm like, what the f- that's a really funky looking cat, you know. And I see Jamie turn paler than she naturally is, and I'm like, we open it, it's a painting of a cat. And we're like, okay, on that note. We, um, different day, um, two and a half or so, she banged her knee into something and nothing big, you know, minor stuff. And we're like, okay, you know, let's put some ice on if you want. She's like, no, 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 I want the doctor. And, you know, she, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, baby? You hate doctors. You don't want to go there. Plus he's late, what are you, you know? She's like, no, 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 kind of like, you guys didn't understand me. It's not what I'm talking about. And she goes, the doctor is in the house. We're like, okay, please do tell, you know, how exactly is the doctor in the house? Explain a second. She's like, my mama is the doctor. And, you know, she didn't know that her mom was a doctor. You know, at the time she had been dead for several months and so on. And she say, and so we are like, what the fuck just happened here you know it's like what did you just say you know so there was those kind of moments she had um she walked up to uh my dad who had um, um a problem with one of his eyes you can tell you know the eyes look the same totally normal and whatever and uh, but when I uh, he had this problem with and uh, she went up to pet him and cuddle him and say oh you did a boo-boo there and he's like how the fuck do you know and how the fuck do you know that it's that eye and not the other one where not... so the baby freaks me out in other words the moral of the story is this is a strange alien creature that I live with she hasn't done any more weird weird psychic stuff in a while but there's enough and this is just a partial list that I gave you guys to remind you in a healthy fashion that the universe is considerably weirder than we understand in lots of ways and, and your daughter will be 15 before you know it too and you yeah. think the weirdness just wait right so on that note appreciate the wonder that is the universe we live on and uh, embrace the weirdness of it all and have a good day And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon.